When he was in college, he would use his talent as a world-renowned hog caller as a way to pick up chicks. This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramblin. It is 5.05 on a Tuesday morning. Good morning to you. Welcome aboard. Thanks so much for joining us. It is January 7th, 2020. We are exactly one week into the new year. And man, oh man, do we have a good show for you this morning. You are going to be hearing from everybody. You're going to be hearing from Reba, Pam, myself. You're even going to hear from our good buddy Scott Schultz up at the northern end of the world's longest barn in Eau Claire. So we've got everybody today. Topics we're going to hit is something that is near and dear to every farmer's heart. It is the struggle to find, keep, and pay good labor. Pam has got that story for you just moments ahead. In the middle of the show, Reba is going to be speaking with the good folks at Bayer about sustainability. And then finally, to round out the show, I'm going to visit with Joel Espy of Monticello, Wisconsin. He is an elk farmer down there. And we're going to talk elk farming on a Tuesday morning. Also, if you want a free Fabulous Farm baby bib, all you got to do is go to MidwestFarmReport.com, click the Quick Trip banner, and that is made possible by our good friends at Quick Trip as they support Wisconsin agriculture. Pam Yonke is straight ahead talking about labor. It might just be the neighbor letting their dog poop in your yard again, but having outdoor lights and sense movement are great when you want to know what's creeping around. We have lower maintenance and lower cost safety and security lights ready to put the spotlight on spot. This is Scott from Ever Ready Electric. Before our family became electricians, we were busy farming. That's where we get our Ever Ready work ethic. EverReadyElectric.net. We are Ever Ready. I'll tell you if there's one farmer in Wisconsin who's been pretty interesting and outspoken when it comes to new technologies and trying new things on his farm. It's been John Rosano from down in the Wamadi area. This is Scott Schultz on the northern end of the world's longest barn in Eau Claire. Pam, John has some things to say all the time, doesn't he? He does, that's for sure, Scott. Fabulous farm mate Pam Yankee at the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. And, you know, a lot of what John's doing, uh, just innovations and ideas that he's uh, sat and thought with, with his family, with his staff. And uh, staff means a great deal to this dairy farmer from the Wamandy Valley in western Wisconsin. John Rosenau has been milking cows his whole career, but as the farm's gotten bigger, his employee base has also gotten bigger. You've all heard about the challenges Wisconsin farmers, farmers everywhere have in not only acquiring good labor, but keeping good labor. John recognized that a long time ago. I had a chance to sit down and visit with that Wamandy Valley dairy farmer and asked him to explain for me his philosophy on how he treats his employees, how they've become to not only be important to the farming operation, but important to his family as well. My role model for being an employer was my father, and I vowed that I would never be like him. And because uh, uh, he didn't treat people very nicely, and uh, so right from the start, from when I first started farming, I always felt that I owed my employees more than a paycheck, and I still believe that. Um, it evolved uh, as we grew. Uh, first, uh, we had one employee, and then we had six or seven, and then we grew to up to twenty at, at a time. And then in 1998, um, it was just about impossible to find anybody to uh, work on a farm anymore, I'm not an American anyway. And I had a friend in Minnesota, Ron Durst, uh, told me about, uh, uh, he had some Mexican employees, so I called him up and uh, he told me he looked in Hortz Dairman, in the back of Hortz Dairman there was an ad for Amigos Incorporated, so I called Amigos Incorporated. Uh, they sent me Manuel, 
from Texas. And Manuel was uh, um, an incredible guy. He milked 54 days straight, 10 hours a day, would not take a day off. He obviously knew what he was doing, and he was wonderful. And I thought, oh my gosh, here's somebody that works just as hard as I do, and I hadn't found that in a long time. And uh, so uh, when he left and went home at Christmas time, I had him go send me two more. And, uh, and it's evolved from there. Now we have, uh, of the 17 employees we have, nine are from Mexico, and uh, they're wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and then, then in around 2001 or so, uh, we're trying to figure out how to communicate because they spoke Spanish, I spoke English, uh, knew about two words, uh, and knew that this is not going to work, that I need to learn the language, and I was having a hell of a time learning the language. Uh, it's not easy for somebody older, not easy for anybody to learn the language. And uh, so um, uh, we talked to a local Spanish teacher, Sean Duvall of Elma, Wisconsin, and uh, she had a class for us farmers. There was 15 of us that took the class, 10 weeks, two hours a day, two hours an evening. And uh, I remember one guy just saying, man, this is going in one ear and out the other. I cannot get this. It's really tough. And I maybe learned 10, 15 words in those. So she thought, maybe we need to do an immersion thing. So we went to Mexico uh, through a grant from the Bobcat, Babcock Institute at the University of Wisconsin. Uh -huh. And uh, so they um, subsidized, I think, each of us by $500. There were 15 of us that went on that trip uh, back in 2001. Went to a language school in uh, Buena Vista de Cuellar, uh, lived with families, and went to the uh, language school, and, and did learn some, but a long, long, long way from where we needed to be. And uh, we had a few days at the end of the trip to uh, figure out what we are going to do, and um, uh, somebody made a suggestion, well, let's go visit the em employees' families where they live. So we traveled to Orizaba, uh, Mexico, which was uh, at the base of the mountains, and our employees lived in, up in the mountains in a region of, uh, called Zangalica. And uh, they came down, my uh, Roberto Montalvo's uh, wife and family came down to see us uh, in a hotel in Orizaba. And it was such an experience, uh, not only for me, but it was for the whole country of Mexico. They had TV cameras and they had uh, radio stations, they had print people there, because that was the first time that anybody had ever come to Mexico to uh, visit the families of their employees. And uh, I thought, oh my gosh, that, that's incredible that that had happened. Uh, why, why would that be? And uh, so when we got home from that, uh, I, and I got together with Sean, and we decided this is too powerful an idea to let die. And uh, so we formed a nonprofit. Uh, we've gone down to Mexico now every year for the last 19, 20 years. Uh, must be 30 trips, taking farmers down to Mexico, visiting their families. This has a major impact, um, not only on the people that go down there, but on the families and on the employees. And uh, it's still a powerful experience. It was, even today, uh, like a couple weeks ago, PBS had a, had a uh, uh, I think they, they sent people along with us on our trip in January last year, and uh, they've had it on uh, PBS NewsHour in the evening twice now. Um, it is uh, an incredible experience, and I would recommend everybody do it. Now, those employees that inspired kind of that first quest, tell me, catch me up then on the current staff that work with you then, John. 
one of the stories was uh, when I went down there the first time, uh, Roberto Mantelvo had been spent sending his money down to Mexico to build a bakery. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he when I got down there and I saw that, I was just uh, I was really surprised that uh, man, I mean, he had sacrificed that much to, and built that bakery down there. But the bakery was located in a, in a village that you could only walk to, so you had to carry the wheat down and then carry the, the bread back up to the city to uh, to sell it. And I thought, well, you know, if you were had entrepreneurial training, you would just do everything up in the city and just walk by yourself up to the city to do the work. And uh, and I really felt bad about that. That here Roberto was at our place for. Um, four or five years and I had not taught him anything. He had nothing to take back with him except money. And uh, I could have been training him stuff with that if I'd have known that. And uh, I felt bad about it. So we started a uh, entrepreneurship class for the people that were there then. And two of our employees took it. And uh, Greg Hadley from UW River Falls was up there at that time. Uh, he would come down once a month and teach an entrepreneurship class to uh, Pascasio and Angles. And uh, they all, they, one of them wanted to be a restaurateur and one of them wanted to be a furniture maker. And um, then eventually they went home and uh, other people came and stuff like that. And then I was down in Mexico four or five years ago. Um, and um, our interpreter, Mercedes Falk, uh, cell phone didn't work. So she went to a local cell phone store in Acatica, Mexico, and uh, Motel Quipa, Mexico, and looking to have it fixed. And, and the guy said, yeah, he could fix it. And, uh, and while she was waiting for it to be fixed, he started, struck up a conversation, asked her where she was from. She said she's from Wisconsin. And then he asked, well, where in Wisconsin? And he said, uh, I'm, uh, she was from Normandy. And he says, well, I used to work in Normandy. Oh, my. And, uh, and she uh, asked him, where did you work? And she, he worked on our farm. And uh, I got down there a little while later, and uh, then I uh, found that out, and I went to the store, and here it was Pascasio. He had started a cell phone store. He's got oh. three of them. And it was because, and we asked him, did that entrepreneurial class help at all? He says, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, that's what's happened. You know, and uh, labor is such an important issue for really anybody, but in particular agriculture. And we've been talking about how uh, watching the bump and grind of policy and so forth. For people that are struggling to manage their employees, John, a lot of people, good people in Wisconsin that know how to handle cows, know how to grow crops, not so good on the people's side. How do you coach them up when they say, John, help me? Well, the first thing I say is I have one hell of a time running my own farm. I'm sure, sure going to have a difficult time running yours. So all I can tell you is what works for us. And uh, so I think, number one, if there was one thing we need to do is, as an employer, uh, we need to treat people with dignity and respect. And uh, your role as an employer is to help them reach their their um, dreams. And uh, so how do you uh, reach their dreams? Or how do you teach them so that they can um, do what you want them to do? And our, we have a few, few things that we do on our farm or things that we find standard is, number one, it's not, we're not allowed to fire anybody. If we're not allowed to fire anybody, that puts a whole different bonus onus on us as employers. So we have to do something else than just get rid of somebody. And um, so we train and we train. And um, that is our role, is to uh, take the person and have them become um, very skilled. 
and we do a lot of training we help a lot of people but what's happened now with our mexican employees is if somebody wants to leave and go home i tell them that they they own you the position that they are in moises has a position from 10 o'clock to eight o'clock at night he milks cows and he rounds up cows and he owns that position so if he wants to go home and uh, and someday come back he's going to have to find somebody to replace himself that uh, is going to be a good employer so that good employees so that when he comes back that position will be there for him and so i no longer hire i no longer no i do don't do any hiring if somebody goes away um it's their job then to find somebody to replace them and they always do john rose now dairy farmer in buffalo county right there in cochran wisconsin he's been practicing what he preaches for a long time when it comes to how he manages all of his employees. He is the owner and operator of Rosenholm Farms. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Farm Director Pam Yonke. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke. Unleash your inner geek at the largest arcade in Wisconsin, Geeks Mania. Hundreds of the most wanted vintage vids and pins, plus the best new game and the largest six-person X-Men game in the galaxy. Book your corporate event or birthday party in the Namco or the new Nintendo room online at GeeksMania.com. Every birthday child gets a free comic book at Geeks Mania, Odano Road, across from Rustero Kia. Open Sunday through Thursday till 10, Friday and Saturday till midnight. Pay one price, play all day. Unleash your inner geek at Geeks Mania. Learn more at GeeksMania.com. In baseball, these are the moments that bring us to our feet. But the most important moment happens when we all stand together. United for a great cause. We once again join our partners Stand Up to Cancer in reaffirming a commitment to the fight against cancer. Since 2008, Major League Baseball, its fans, players, and coaches have delivered a powerful, determined message that we, together, will defeat cancer. I'm Matt Damon. I'm Candace Patton. Joe Manganiello. Jordana Brewster. Zachary Levi. I'm Uzo Aduba. Cancer has in some way touched all of us. So join Major League Baseball and Stand Up to Cancer as we stand in honor of all loved ones affected by this disease. Visit standuptocancer.org slash MLB. Stand up with us. He takes being called a pig as a compliment because he knows that they're smarter than most dogs and people. This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. 519 on the clock. It is January 7th, 2020, and right now I'm connected live via Skype with ag meteorologist Stu Muck. Stu, good morning. How's it going up your way? Good morning, Josh. Just fine. How about with you? Pretty good. You know, it's been kind of mild for Wisconsin in January lately, but I do see some clouds rolling in, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah, there's some clouds rolling in, and there's a little bit of snow. There's one little narrow band whipped through Eau Claire a while back, over toward Wausau now as well, and up toward Anigo. Just a very narrow little band. There looks like there may be just a little bit of light snow over in southeast Wisconsin and north-central Illinois as well. Very light, very scattered development out ahead of a cool front. That cool front still way back in northern Minnesota, back to North Dakota. But it is going to drop in. A little weak disturbance is the reason some of that little light snow is broken out. There's a little more snow southern North Dakota, northeast South Dakota, 
None of it a big deal. I expect, though, today that there may be a morning flurry almost anywhere. Otherwise, later on, going to get a bit sunny. Still today, a little on the above normal side, not quite as far above as it was just yesterday. We are going to cool off a little bit, even cooler for Wednesday. Wednesday could find us back to normal or just a little bit below. We haven't been there much so far this year or even late last year. So it probably will seem a bit cool, but already then, as we cool it off for Wednesday, the next low builds in out of the west, originally ejecting out of the Pacific Northwest today. That next low approaching is more likely toward Thursday, going to mean some rain. It may start as a bit of snow, but will change over to some rain, changing back to snow before it's all said and done. And in that time frame, Thursday and Thursday night, less than a tenth of an inch of rain, not a big deal but a little precipitation, and with cold ground conditions, you know, it'll freeze up in the evening and overnight, make it a bit slippery. Could do that on roadways here and there as it does start to cool off. Fortunately, though, Thursday's high will be quite mild. Friday's high still around or above freezing, so not a major ice box trying to build on in. We do cool a bit heading toward the weekend, and a little light snow a possibility at that point as well. But if you've noticed, I haven't said any big snows, no major accumulations. We're not going to ice everything up. Light precipitation here right on through the rest of the week as it comes and goes. I'll have the forecast details right after this. Hi, this is Dave Gary, and i got to tell you, the energy inside the Princeton Club this time of year is amazing. And you should see all the reinvestment and upgrades we've done inside the clubs. But hey, as we start 2020, here's a thought for a better tomorrow. Why not set a goal for ourselves to become even better this year, better than we've ever been? One area that can have the biggest effect on the rest of our lives and the quality of them is our health. And at the Princeton Club, we can help make that your reality because our clubs are designed around you and what really works. It all starts with a specific exercise program tailored just for you. It's developed by our friendly and highly trained staff. And trust me, they really are the best in the business. And then it all happens inside our world-class facilities, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and with free childcare. Most importantly, you'll feel welcome here. Best rates of the year available now. Visit PrincetonClub.net. 523 on the clock. It's Josh Scramlin talking with ag meteorologist Stu Muck. Stu, what can we expect today for weather? Well, later on, we're all going to see some sunshine, but a few clouds, a flurry here or there for a time this morning, you know, the next couple of hours, and otherwise it does clear out. And temperatures today in the mid or upper 30s, Madison, probably the warm spot, about 37. Everybody else getting close to 35 could be about it. West winds 5 to 15, could gust near 30, probably feeling a little chilly. We'll clear it out overnight, single digits, mid-single digits in the west and north. Now we drop down to uh, those single digits with the northwest winds at 5 to 15 they gust to 25 a little bright start tomorrow but the clouds build back in the day low to mid 20s that's where we drop just a bit cooler than normal the northwest winds 5 to 10 and by thursday cloudy skies a little snow early more likely some rain developing in the day not too heavy but mid and upper 40s on Thursday, south winds 5 to 15, even gusting to 30 and 35. Could see a little light snow mixed back in with that then, Josh, and a little snow on toward Friday afternoon. So still a pretty mild pattern right through this week. All right, Stu, thanks so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. 
See you then. Yep, we'll see you then. That's Ag Meteorologist Stu Muck. He joins us live every single weekday right around 5.20 a.m. Taking a look at current conditions. It's clear in 28 in Madison, 28 and clear in Eau Claire, 33 and cloudy in La Crosse, 33 mostly cloudy skies in Green Bay. Right now it's 30 and cloudy in Wausau, mostly cloudy skies in 31 in Oshkosh, and in Mauston it is 31 and mostly cloudy. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Josh Scramlin. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke. After a winter storm hits your propane-fueled home, look for power lines standing strong, gas lines and tanks in place and undamaged, chimneys, flue and gas pipes, meters, regulators, and vents clear of snow and ice. Clear away any ice and snow very carefully. If you notice anything unusual, leave and have the property checked by a qualified service technician before returning. For more advice, call your propane retailer or visit propane.com. This message is sponsored by your local propane dealer and by the Wisconsin Propane Education and Research Council. Say, have you heard of the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation? Yes, it's a grassroots organization of people just like you that care about keeping agriculture strong. By joining Farm Bureau, you also qualify for a number of money-saving member benefits on equipment, autos, travel, and insurance. Get more details at WFBF.com. A voice for farmers, vision for agriculture, Wisconsin Farm Bureau. Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Rural Mutual Insurance, the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin, is here for you even when the weather isn't. With crop hail damage, protect your operation from hail, fire, lightning, and more. Visit RuralMutual.com slash farm. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Carrier has a complete line of home heating products to keep your family comfortable this winter without burning your budget. With smart temperature management and remote access options, it's easier than ever to control your home's climate. And Carrier energy-efficient systems can help reduce utility bills without sacrificing comfort. For more complete comfort and greater peace of mind, turn to your Carrier expert. Call your Carrier factory-authorized dealer, RA Heating and Air Conditioning in Evansville. Hi, this is Dave Gary, and I gotta tell you, the energy inside the Princeton Club this time of year is amazing. And you should see all the reinvestment and upgrades we've done inside the clubs. But hey, as we start 2020, here's a thought for a better tomorrow. Why not set a goal for ourselves to become even better this year? Better than we've ever been. One area that can have the biggest effect on the rest of our lives and the quality of them is our health. And at the Princeton Club, we can help make that your reality because our clubs are designed around you and what really works. It all starts with a specific exercise program tailored just for you. It's developed by a friendly and highly trained staff. And trust me, they really are the best in the business. And then it all happens inside our world-class facilities, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and with free childcare. Most importantly, you'll feel welcome here. Best rates of the year available now. Visit PrincetonClub.net.
Have a great time with family and friends at the entertainment environment in the golf suites at Vitense Golfland. Have fun while you watch Packer and Badger football games in your private golf suite. Relax in comfortable chairs and bar top tables as you enjoy food and drink items off the signature hole and grill bar served by friendly waitstaff. Top Tracer is available in every bay of the golf suites. Point Games Played Like Darts is an awesome game for any level of golfer, even new players. Watch, eat, practice, and play in the golf suites at Vitense Golfland. There is no reason to be intimidated by words like gold, diamonds, jewels. No reason at all, especially when you stop into Goodman's Jewelers, 220 State Street, same location they've been at for over 85 years because they haven't been in business that long by intimidating people. They've been in that business by having beautiful pieces at all price points, whether it be an engagement ring, a wedding band, a pendant, maybe even a necklace, birthday, anniversaries, so many different occasions to give such beautiful jewelry that is very affordable. And of course, they've got the bling bling the shine and diamonds but they also have a great selection of other exotic gemstones and a lot of the cuts that are super hot these days they may have that traditional feel that traditional customer service but they also have the new modern looks of today stop in and take a look at their jewelry case talk to the staff find out what it is that they have and what it is that they can create go online goodmansjewelers.com Unleash your inner geek at the largest arcade in Wisconsin, Geeks Mania. Hundreds of the most wanted vintage bids and pins, plus the best new games and the largest six-person X-Men game in the galaxy. Book your corporate event or birthday party in the Namco or the new Nintendo room online at GeeksMania.com. Every birthday child gets a free comic book at Geeks Mania, Odana Road, across from Rust Arrow Kia. Open Sunday through Thursday till 10, Friday and Saturday till midnight. Pay one price, play all day. Unleash your inner geek at Geeks Mania. Learn more at GeeksMania.com. Let's bring in our uh, Packer Insider from Forbes.com, a special Monday appearance by our Packer Insider, Rob Reichel. Rob, uh, boy, did this happen fast. Uh, How surprised are you that A, it happened, and that B, it happened this quickly, uh, McCarthy being named the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Well, I mean, don't you get the feeling, Joe, that this the groundwork for this maybe has been been laid here over the last week or so? I mean, we'll we'll certainly learn more details about that, but as they left Jason Garrett kind of, floating in the wind here the last six, seven days. I'm, I'm sure Jerry was, was moving along with, with his candidates like like Big Mike and Marvin Lewis and Urban Meyer and Lincoln Riley and whoever else he was potentially chewing on. My surprise level with this, with this particular hire is like a 9 out of 10, Joe. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't see McCarthy in Dallas. I, I saw him potentially in a couple other places, a Carolina of the world. Um, but boy, that's that that could be a tricky fit. Him and him and Jerry. That's I mean, we we know Jerry's ego and big big Mike's ego got got pretty darn big by the end as well. And 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 I'll be perfectly honest, guys. I I didn't think McCarthy was going to get another chance. So kudos to him for for landing the job in Dallas. And and now we'll we'll all. We'll, watch, we'll all watch with great fascination how this thing plays well, out, right? Rob, has Mike McCarthy ever lost at Jerry's World? Ooh, that's a good question. I'll have to go look that up. I don't think he don't, has, I, and if that's the case, I mean, he's undefeated there. That's a great hire for the Cowboys. What yeah, a home field advantage. He's been a loss in his early years. I think, yeah, him. the one where Favre got hurt and Rodgers had to finish yep. the game, I think that that's that was it. McCarthy's rookie year. I think that's the only game they've ever lost there. But Ebo's right. I mean, yeah, they're like he's like 7-1 and one in that stadium. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good call, Joe. That was actually 07 
when Green Bay went to the to the NFC title game, and in both those, that was probably about a mid-November, late-November game, and both of those teams had one loss at the time, and that ended up being the game that decided home field advantage. Now, now Dallas that year never made it to the conference championship game, and Green Bay did, and then Green Bay lost that year to the Giants. But yep, good call, Joe. That was the game. So uh, visit with our Packer insider Rob Reichel. So I mean, you said it, Robin. The, the the crazy thing about the the Cowboys dynamic, right? Is Jerry Jones? How many owners have a press conference after the game before the head coach? And it's always Jerry Jones comes out and he says, you know, either good things or bad things about the head coach. And then Jason Garrett's there, left to kind of not only do a press conference about his team, but about the owner. I mean, there's like no way McCarthy's going to go for that, right? Like, there's no way if, if, if the the Cowboys look like crap week one next year and Jerry Jones says, man, we got to play better. And then, the, you know, the media will say, well, coach, uh, Jerry just said you need to play better. Your reaction. I mean, he's not going to grovel at the feet of Jerry Jones, is he, like Jason Garrett did? Joey, he's got no choice. I mean, we, we know who wears the pants in that relationship, right? I mean, and, and it's been that way for 25 years. I mean, 30, whatever, whatever it was, late 80s, I guess, when, when he bought that and moved on from Tom Landry, right? And, you know, whether that was Jimmy Johnson or whether that was Parcells or who, Wade Phillips, whoever that has been through the years, Jerry does his – Jerry does a radio show every week in town. Jerry does post-game press conferences. Um, I, I think, you know, Jerry answers a, a lot of media requests that come in through the course of the week, and, and that's not going to change with Mike McCarthy being there or not. That's just something Mike McCarthy's going to have to learn to live with, and, and that's going to be one of the elements along with, you know, probably a, an, an amped-up media core, um, certainly a, a larger media core and, and maybe an even more, you know, a more intense media core than what he faced in Green Bay. He, you know, he struggled in Green Bay answering questions a lot of times on a daily basis. He'd get annoyed with, with some of the softball questions that got lobbed at him from time to time, guys. And, and I, you know, it, it's not quite the East Coast in Dallas, but it's, but it's certainly going to be um, a more aggressive media core than what Mike McCarthy ever faced in Green Bay. I mean, it, it's not Philly. It's not New York. I, I thought him going to New York would have been an absolute, you know, Saturday, Saturday, night, Saturday night Live skit. Um, we're, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be a little bit less than that for him in, in Dallas, but, it, but it's certainly going to be, uh, you know, a, a more, a, you know, a, a media group that overall is going to pick at him a lot more than the Green Bay one did. Yeah, Rob, I have a question for you. And real quick, Nelson, Johnny on the spot here. Nelly, do you want to tell Rob what you just texted me? Big Mike is undefeated in the newest Jerry World that was construction oh, constructed right. in 09. The new one. The new one. So, Rob, I have two questions. What does this mean for Dak Prescott, and what does this mean for Ezekiel Elliott? I, I don't have those answers. We'll I mean, just to, off the top of your head, we'll if you to, had a gut feeling. Yeah, we'll all have to wait and, and find out. I'm- he takes being called a pig as a compliment because he knows that they're smarter than most dogs and people. This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. Sustainability practices are something that a lot of farmers are thinking about, and our very own Reba McClone has the story on that. Reba? I am talking with Brett Sitzman, who is a sustainable crop systems lead at Bayer. Brett, can you just start out by telling me what are a general overview of some of those sustainability practices that you guys are looking or are implementing? You know, farmers are always on the edge of innovation. That's the space Bayer really lives in and drives, right? So we have science for life, science that drives innovation. You think about even over the past uh, couple decades, 
a, a system like the glyphosate cropping system has allowed farmers to, for the first time, plant row crops without having to do tillage in the soil, right? So that's really the first step when we think about sustainable practices is pro- promoting better soil health, and that starts with no-till. You talk about the glyphosate allowing you to do no-till for some of those row crops. Tell me about kind of why you guys decided that was something you really wanted to focus on. So, you know, I think in, in agriculture in general, farmers want to leave that farm better for the next generation than they inherited it, right? So these farms are steeped in tradition. Uh, they a lot of times stay within a family. And so they're always looking for that next better practice that's going to leave that farm in, in better shape for the next generation. And our science and technology really helps farmers do that. We have a digital platform now in Climate Field View that really helps farmers optimize decision-making. So it's not always about, hey, I I need to apply more inputs to get a better result. It's about looking at, on a subfield basis, productivity and really reassigning those inputs. So not always more, but rather optimized decision-making. What are some of the other decisions that that technology can help those farmers to make? You know, we even have technology today that's helping farmers identify disease uh, within the field. They can write prescriptions right? So we can uh, script out a given application in the field and really treat affected acres. So it's, uh, again, helping optimize that decision-making and really targeting applications within a given field um, to, to really apply on only those affected acres. Right now, like you were saying, that sustainability is so important, not only to the farmers, but it's important to the public as well. How is Bear kind of helping to bridge that gap between the public and the farmers regarding sustainability? It's a lot of the quiet work that we're doing today, right? We're part of a a group called the Midwest Row Crop Collaborative, where it's not only input providers like us, but it's ingredient manufacturers all the way out to uh, really those uh, food um, manufacturers that are connected all the way out to the consumer, right? So as Bayer, we're really well connected to our farmers and our dealers and agriculture. So when when we participate in a group like MRCC, we're really helping connect that farmer message all the way out to the consumer. What are some of those other newer technologies that maybe you guys kind of have on that are kind of starting to come forward? I don't. I can understand if you can't tell me everything, but what are some of the things that maybe would be coming forward in the next few years that farmers should be keeping an eye out for? You've probably heard about our outcome-based pricing and some of that trial work that's going on. Again, that's really pairing optimized decision-making that we have in our digital tools with really kind of the go-to-market uh, for the business, right? So again, it's not just about selling more, it's about selling the right thing on a given acre. And there's a sustainability message in that, right? It's optimized uh, decision-making. There's other technologies that aren't new, but they're they're slowly adopted today, right? Cover crops, not a new idea, but um, we work hard to really drive adoption of cover cropping systems and reduce that initial barrier to entry that is the cost of cover crops, right? So we we partner with groups like MRCC to come up with programs and, and drivers to help uh, adoption of cover crops in general. And over time, we're seeing more and more acres of cover crops. Within that, are you finding that a lot of farmers are reaching out to you guys asking, what is the best next step for me? No doubt. It's always, uh, again, farmers are always on the edge of innovation. They're looking for that next thing to do, whether it's a competitive edge or just a better 
uh, practice in general. Cover crops um, are really a key component to that today, right? So uh, after harvest is finished, uh, fresh on the mind of farmers is getting that ground covered again and for uh, great soil health benefits. So not only protecting against erosion, but actually maintaining that fertility. Um, that cover crop helps hold the fertility in place to really promote a better crop for that next season. So both saving the farmer money and promoting better soil health on farm. Within that saving the money, a lot of farmers are facing a hard time. It's been a hard spring. It's been a hard harvest now, too. What are some of the other things that Bear is doing to try and help them meet that bottom line, make it more economical? You know, it's always front of mind for uh, our Bayer business, no doubt, is um, profitability uh, for farmers. Of course, they're our, our key customer. And it's through the uh, delivering some of these technologies. I mentioned earlier outcome-based pricing, for example. It's a new risk management tool uh, in general, and there's others you can talk about uh, that approach with here. But um, within that that system, it's, again, helping the farmer optimize decision-making to drive to a better financial end result. And if they're not getting there, Bayer shares in some of that risk with the farmer. So truly partnering with the farmer uh, to drive better financial outcomes. That was Brett Sitzman with Bayer, who's a sustainable crop systems lead. So it seems as though at least one of the groups that is invested in our farmers and the future of farming is also as focused on sustainability as those farmers are. I'm Reba McClone. All right, thank you so much for that, Reba. And we've got your markets just moments ahead. Smog, garbage, sewers, car exhaust. Today's world puts our sense of smell on overload. Luckily, there are places we can go to refocus our senses. Our national wildlife refuges. When you visit, your nose will instantly recognize the purity of nature. Bask in the aromatic scent of the black pine trees blowing in the wind. Detect the sweet fragrance of primroses, wild violets, and blue sage. Smell the fresh salt water in the air as waves crash into rocky shoals. When you smell these things, you're smelling the world the way we found it. With over 500 refuges across America, you don't have to go far to make a special connection with nature. Learn more at fws.gov slash refuges. That's fws.gov slash refuges. The high standards that Lawton and Cates has maintained over decades means that all of our lawyers have to live up to that standard of professionalism and extreme competence, making cases go faster and more smoothly while benefiting our clients. The attorneys at Lawton and Cates. It's who you turn to for legal advice. 282-6200 or LawtonCates.com. When you need an attorney, trust the voice of experience. The only choice, Lawton and Cates. Celebrating 60 years. In baseball, these are the moments that bring us to our feet. But the most important moment happens when we all stand together. United for a great cause. So join Major League Baseball and stand up to cancer. As we stand in honor of all loved ones affected by this disease. I'm Jordana Brewster. I'm Candace Patton. Joe Manganiello. I'm Matt Damon. And cancer has in some way touched all of us. Visit standuptocancer.org MLB. Stand up with us. He can smell fried cheese curds from 15 miles away. 
This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. It's 543 on the clock, and we'll take a look at your markets in just a second. But first, earlier in the show, Pam was talking about labor with John Rosenau. More specifically, the struggles that farmers face when trying to find good labor. And in case you missed it late last week, there was some labor news that came out of Washington. And now a coalition of ag groups are asking lawmakers to change some burdensome ag labor laws. Michael Clements has more on that. Michael? The government-mandated wage rate for farmers who use the H-2A program increased Thursday, adding more hurdles to an already challenging ag labor market. The Agriculture Workforce Coalition, which includes the American Farm Bureau Federation, sent a letter to the Senate urging reforms. Allison Crittenden, AFBF Congressional Relations Director, says the adverse effect wage rate will immediately increase farmers' labor costs at a time when revenue for agricultural goods is declining. On a national average, we're seeing a 6% increase. The AWER is calculated into different regions, so some regions will see a greater increase than that. Other regions will see a slightly smaller increase, but overall it's going up another 6% while prices that farmers are getting for their commodities continue to be pretty stagnant. Crittenden says the coalition seeks legislation that will ensure a level playing field for America's farmers and ranchers. We asked the U.S. Senate to come up with a solution that replaces the AWER and allows American farms to be competitive. We're continuing to see an influx of goods imported from other countries where their labor is much cheaper, and that's driving down the prices for American agriculture goods. Without reforms, she says some farmers may go out of business because of the U.S. farm labor crisis. A lot of farmers are forced to use the H-2A program, which subjects farmers to also paying for housing, transportation, and the inflated adverse effect wage rate. So it's a matter of making sure farmers have access to the workforce that they need at a cost that won't put them out of business. Michael Clements, Washington. All right, Michael, thank you so much for that. And as promised, let's take a look at your opening markets on a Tuesday morning. Right now, cash corn is at 385, and that is up a quarter of a cent. To new crop corn is up a half a penny at 392. All the wild cash beans are unchanged at 934 and a quarter. And new crop beans are at 946 and a half. That is up one and three quarters of a cent. Cash wheat is at 549 and a half. That is down a half a penny. And new crop wheat is at 553. That is down three quarters of a cent. Moving along to dairy, butters at 189 and a half. That is down five and a half cents. Block cheddar is down a penny at 188. And cheddar barrel is unchanged at 160. 64 and a quarter. And finally, as for those fluid milk contracts, February milk is at 1701, that is down one penny, and March milk is at 1724, that is unchanged. Don't forget, MidwestFarmReport.com is where you want to go to claim your free Fabulous Farm Baby Bib, courtesy of Quick Trip. Stay tuned because we've got a fun story coming up in just moments, and for the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Josh Scramlin. This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke. In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success, like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide. A man that knows any food tastes better when deep fried and served on a stick. This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. I have got a little bit of a quiz for you. Now, for those of you saying, okay, wait, no, it's early in the morning. Please don't do this. I can't think like that this early in the morning. Just hold on. It's simpler than you think. I'm going to play a sound clip, and you have to tell me what it is. All right, ready? Here it is. Think about it. I'll give you a couple seconds. 
Okay. Now I'm actually going to play it for you again one more time. What is this sound? All right, you've had some time to think, and you've probably said a couple guesses out loud to yourself, but here's the answer. That is the bugle of a bull elk. Yeah, that's what a male elk call is called. It's a bugle, and it's very surprising to see that sound come out of such a large animal. But I got to be up close with these animals when I recently made the trek down to the southern part of Wisconsin and visited a good friend of mine. Joel Espy. Ox Hill Elk Ranch, Monticello, Wisconsin. This is interesting because this is one of the more obscure types of farming in Wisconsin. You always hear about dairy farmers, pig farmers, sheep, soybeans, pumpkins, apples, all those things. You don't really hear about elk farmers a whole lot. I mean, they're, they're very few and far between. And because it's so rare and it's quite an undertaking to have elk running around in your front yard, I asked Joel what made him just one day wake up about 25 years ago and say, you want to know something? I'm going to start raising elk. Well, I had a friend that uh, raised some elk. I got to know him and got interested in it and told the wife I really wanted to raise elk, and she wanted to raise pumpkins, and we discussed it for three weeks. And one night I said, you know what, we're going to make a decision and just live with it, uh, elk or pumpkins. And I said, but before we start, I want you to remember one thing. Which of us has the better judgment? Look who I married and look who you got stuck with. <laughs> and that's how I got to raise elk. So I had friends come out and help me put fence up in that and meet all the rules and regulations. And uh, uh, I bought my first elk from the friend that was up in New Glarus. And, uh, uh, and I've, we've since then we've uh, bought from different places and got things going. And, uh, and then we start artificially inseminating. And we just use semen from world record holders and uh, world champions and that. And so it was just uh, it was a learning experience. Uh, read everything I could and. Uh, Talked to as many people as I could, and I think we started fencing in 1999, and we've we've added on some since then as the herd grew. We uh, um, and as we changed genetics and that, and tried to get with better genetics, and uh, as we were having success with that, and people wanted our genetics and our semen, we we just modified things from there. We put in a hydraulic uh, squeeze chute so we could lift them off their feet and trim hooves or vaccinate or draw semen or cut antlers. Uh, um, as we learn more, we just try to adapt and make things better for them. And our goal is to have as stress-free an environment for the animals as possible. Uh, and we've had people from even Alltech, the Worldwide uh, Dairy Association, come out and interview and, and get ideas on how we do things that would correlate to more milk production by less stress with the animals and that sort of thing. And uh, a lot of Temple Granlin's work we've used uh, um Probably one of the best books I've read was the uh, uh, the Horse Whisperer, not the movie. That was no good at all. But uh, the book itself, learning how to uh, move animals and uh, uh, be able to convince animals to go in a certain direction or whatever without uh, using shocks or whips or anything like that, just body position, that sort of thing. So uh, we've, we've had a lot of success with it. Now, when you think about the uses of an elk, the first use that comes to your mind, much like mine, is probably meat. There's a big market for elk meat and specialty meats out there. But turns out that there's a lot of uses that you probably didn't even know existed. We have sold every product they make from it. Some we've created. Besides the semen, the antlers, we've, uh, we've harvested uh, antlers and velvet. They get made into capsules for people with arthritis, dogs for hip dysplasia. If you get a cut on a racehorse, they'll take the powder from that and make a paste and put it in there. With three days, you have hair growing and no scarring. 
Uh, hospitals in Europe use it a lot to make people heal quicker so they can release them sooner. We sell the ivory. When we butcher, we'll take the uh, uh, large bones and knuckles and that, use those. We dehydrate them and, and smoke them for uh, dogs, for dog chews and that. Uh, it's good for their teeth, that sort of thing. I'm going to be missing a lot of stuff here. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the, uh, the hides, uh, we save those and they get tanned and that and uh, for people that are looking for something that way. We will take the heart, the liver, and uh, kidneys. We'll slice those, freeze them, and, and slice them, and uh, dehydrate them. And those go for training treats for dogs. And dogs would just do anything for that, even do what you want them to. I want to change gears because, you know, how is it uh, when you raise pigs and sheep, you can get in the pen with them, you can touch them. How is it uh, dealing with elk and putting your hands on elk? Is that even possible? Yeah, I have... Uh, one cow that comes up and gives kisses. Uh, she was raised in a house here. She was a, one of a set of twins, which is rare, and she had a dislocated hip. And the, uh, her twin sister would get to the udder and drain it before she could get there. So we brought her into the house and uh, uh, eventually reintroduced her to the herd after I would jog with her in the backyard slow. And, and eventually the hip worked its way into place. And uh, then she was full speed, but for a while I was faster than the second fastest land animal in North America. <laughs> um, you know, just uh, I grew up on a farm in northern Illinois, but our livestock wouldn't be what you'd call majestic. A big bull elk is majestic. It's the best word for it. But do I go in and work with the animals? Oh, yeah. But knowing, knowing all the signs and symptoms and that of uh, when there's a problem uh, and how to avoid it and that, they, they'll let you know when there's a problem. If they uh, show their ivory teeth, they're letting you know that you're a little closer than they like. And each one's got a different personality. Uh, some will come up to you and want to be petted, and some won't. And you respect their space. And, you know, I found that uh, when two cows or two bulls are fighting, they'll get on their hind feet. And whoever can get their head the highest is dominant. Mm. Okay? So if I'm out moving big bulls in rut, uh, which is... It can be dangerous on foot, so I'll use a skidster. And if I lift the bucket up higher than they can get their head, they turn and go. Well, Joel, thank you so much for your time. I feel very enlightened. There were a lot of things going into today that I did not know about. I, I love hunting. I love fishing. I love being out in the wilderness. And I've seen elk in the wild when I was at Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. And I've seen them in Montana and Wyoming. But uh, to get up close and personal and talk with you, an elk farmer here in Wisconsin, and learn about the different uh, uses of elk, it's it's been amazing, and, and I hope our listeners enjoyed it just as much as I did. Again, I'm here with Joel Espy. He is an elk farmer and the owner of Hawks Hill Elk Ranch in Monticello, Wisconsin. If you would like to see video and pictures of my visit to Hawks Hill Elk Ranch, you can go to our Facebook page, that is Fabulous Farm Babe on Facebook, or visit our website, that is MidwestFarmReport.com. As always, for the Midwest Farm Report on a Tuesday morning, 